<laughs> well, I never thought I'd show a clip from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> it was probably the defining comedy of my generation. For those of you in my generation, you know that. And, well, frankly, that is not a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, even Lloyd, needs a reason to carry on. Strive towards a goal. Now, the reason may be some kind of vision or dream or, in this case, a Hollywood dream sequence. Of course, in mine, I imagine myself as Brad Pitt. <laughs> All right. But each person needs motivation when either hope begins to fade or our own efforts end up letting us down. You know, a good friend sits across from me saying, Ryan, my marriage is failing. God knows I've tried. Things are going great at work. I'm enjoying church. I'm, I'm like digging fellowship with other guys, other dudes. I want to please God. But I'm tired of having to live up to expectations. And I'm just tired of being criticized for each little thing. Yeah, we've sought help. But nothing's changed. Friends, what would you say to such a person? Why should he keep going? What advice would you give him? You could give him the biblical goal to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But, but like anyone who's repa faced repeated adversity, what he really needs is a reason. A reason to carry on. Read with me in Luke 17, 7-10 this morning. That's our passage this morning. We're continuing our series, The Overlooked Jesus, which has been looking at this section of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 15-18. through 18. Luke 17, 7-10. Jesus speaks here, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come from the field, come at once and sit down at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare my supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as my, one of my sisters prayed, we were praying with the worship team just minutes before the service, that she was praying, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, above all. And may they be, Lord. And I pray that you would use um, these words and the sermon this morning to help us grow. May they be your words, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing Jesus points to in this brief parable is the human condition when it comes to perseverance. The human condition when it comes to perseverance. That 
After a hard day's work, I'd like to take a break for some me time. Right? I can relate to what this hypothetical servant says in verse 7. Also, I would like some appreciation. I'd like a thank you. And God, if you want to send that in the form of a material blessing, that, that would be great, right? <laughs> Second thing I'd like us to see is that Jesus ends with the goal. He gives us a picture of true servants who after obeying everything, everything, mind you, that's a lot, <laughs> after obeying everything, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Jesus points to the reality that continuing on and serving the Master is difficult. It's hard. As this hypothetical, even maybe even worldly, servant is pictured as. But he also gives us the goal. The goal of what a true servant should look like. But there seems to be a gap here. Sure, all of us would love to be that guy or that woman who keeps going and going and going and going and serving Jesus and serving others and does so with humility and gratitude. Still believing I'm only worthy because the Master has made me worthy. But it is really, 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 really hard, as you know, to get to that point. Yesterday, Katie uh, was struggling. She had hurt her toe a little earlier in the week, so I gave her some alone time, and I took Mason... Engage our two boys, five and three years old, outside to do a little yard work, which of course is a term I use loosely. <laughs> uh, as you may know, I am one of the least handy persons you will ever meet. In fact, the first time I ever handled a chainsaw, well, at least the first time I bought a chainsaw, not the first time I handled it, the first time I bought my own chainsaw and used it, I got it stuck in a tree for three days. I had to... I had to put a tarp on it to protect it from the rain. <laughs> so bad. Anywho, uh, we cut down some branches. Back to the story. We cut down some branches, which turned into cutting down some limbs, which turned into cutting down a whole tree, which was a bonus. We uh, trimmed some bushes as well. We washed some cars. And at the end, I gave the boys an outdoor shower with our hose in the front yard. <laughs> right? Now look. I hear a few of you kind of snickering out there. You can take the boy out of redneck country, but you cannot take the redneck country out of the boy, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Ugh. Well, I walked inside afterwards. And Katie very nicely asked me if I would make them lunch. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, what? Make them lunch? And seriously? Now, first of all, I would like a cold beverage, right? And uh, maybe a shower as well. And then some, some me time. <laughs> 
Second of all, I'm thinking, where's my thank you? Right? Now, of course, I didn't, I should say, I didn't actually verbalize any of this and say it out loud, or uh, else I may not be with you here today, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like this parable, right? One of my me time, one of the thank you. And just like this parable, the truth was I had only done my duty. The duty Jesus had given me the, through the Apostle Paul to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That doesn't mean stop giving yourself and take a break. That means sacrificing. Making the extra sacrifice for her. And of course... You know, I really didn't deserve any appreciation because if any of you who have actually met my wife realize it is me who should be thanking her uh, pretty much constantly, right? <laughs> Just goes to show, though. In real life, carrying on is hard. I'm telling parables. A lot of times, Jesus gives us the answer key. He gives us the coveted teacher's edition. Other times he leaves a parable or the story open-ended. We're left with a question or maybe an idea to ponder rather than the answer. This, friends, is one of those times. Jesus himself is about to carry on with his greatest task as he begins to head towards the cross. The task he was destined to since the moment he was born to die on the cross in our place so that we might have salvation. That was his task. A task that was always burdening him. So the question before us is why ought we carry on? Why carry on for God? Why try to become this humble servant who <laughs> seems fairly unattainable serving the invisible God it's not only hard, but sometimes seems absurd. It results in people mistreating you and those you love. It results in alienation. It results in times of inevitable fall flat on your face failure. We need a good reason. We need a good reason. And you know, not just a good reason. We need a great reason. You know, to take it a step further, we need a reason that we can count on and we know will be effectual in our lives to actually accomplish what we're seeking. And friends, I believe this morning that I have such a reason, reason for you. By way of the Apostle Paul, who himself is struggling through this very issue in 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10. If you have a Bible, turn with me there now. It will be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. What struck me about these two verses is how closely Paul's verbiage, his, his wording, mirrors that of Jesus' parable this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. Paul says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because... I persecuted the church of God. Stop here real quick. Paul, Saul says unworthy because he persecuted the church of God. Here's a man 
a Jew among Jews, knew the letter of the law far superior in a far superior manner to anyone else of his age or time. But he hated Christians. Man, did he hate Christians. He was an accomplice in the beatings, imprisonments, even the murders of other Christians. He knew he was only in this position because of a gift. But we'll get to that in a moment. Verse 10. But, so I'm only, I'm an unworthy be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul works hard for Jesus. He works hard for Jesus. And clearly, that's an understatement. Because by what this guy says about being a hard worker compared to his buddies, he's either an arrogant so-and-so or, or his superior work ethic was so commonly agreed upon, so widely seen and acknowledged by the other apostles that it's no biggie for him to say that he worked harder than each of them. And as he works, Paul grasps two crucial concepts. As he tries to carry on and being an apostle, a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ, he grasps two crucial concepts. One, he's an apostle and God's servant only by grace. A man who caused the suffering of many Christians, who passed on evil only by grace. It's only a free gift of God that he once saved Paul, that he opened his eyes and allowed him to serve the living God. Allow him to be the bearer of the gospel to the Gentile world. Secondly, Paul realizes God's grace must fuel any successful work. Any successful work by the end of it. He says this, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God. It seems like he could take credit here, but any satisfying and successful work carried along is carried along by the invisible hand of grace. He could take credit. He worked hard. But Paul knows that any fruit produced, any success gained, any results that happened were the grace of God. Indeed, even the energy to carry on in a way he never thought he could, in a way he never even could have expected. He knows that's the grace of God in him. And there's a rush about that. There's a fulfillment about that to know it wasn't just him putting his hand to the plow, but it was God's invisible hand of grace with him on that plow. Friends, what we see here in this passage is that grace is that reason. Grace is the reason to carry on And by helping us see the need for Jesus, which grace does, grace humbles us like the servant in this parable. Because of the sin in our lives, we see that we are in need of a Savior. That is God's grace coming in to our lives. It humbles us. The 
sermon in a nutshell today. If you remember nothing else, remember this in a nutshell. The only way to carry on is to take care that your service is a response to grace. The only way to persevere in the Christian life long term is to take care. The Old Testament frequently talks about taking care to obey God. It says that in Deuteronomy many times. It also says at one point to take care to love God, to be careful to love God. There's a care that needs to go into us, an attentiveness to make sure our service is a response to grace. If you remember one word in the sermon, remember the word response. Because when we obey, it's always to be out of a response to the love of God made active. Grace. If service is done, to pay God back or to earn God's favor, friends, that strategy will fail. You'll find your disservice, your transgressions, outweigh your service. And God will make sure that you see that. If service to Jesus is done out of obligation or guilt, you'll only end up resenting the one you aim to serve. Because striving and working out of guilt and obligation always causes bitterness in the long run. We must realize the grace of Jesus is so important and we must become so intimate with it that obedience to Him becomes but a natural response. As an aside, real quick, I, I realized I realized I'm going to define grace in at least four sermons per year. You know, uh, here's another time for that, right? I want to define it for you once more. Grace is God's love made active through an unconditional, undeserved gift. Let me break this down for a minute for us here. God loves us deeply and passionately and grace starts here. He starts with that great love for us. He wants to show us that love though and he does so supremely through Jesus Christ through the gift of salvation that Jesus accomplished for us when he died in our place on the cross dying a death that we deserve. That is his gift to us, his greatest gift, the ultimate act of grace. But grace, friends, is, can be much more. It's all through Jesus, but it's much more. Grace can be the spiritual gifts God gives you to serve one another in the church. Grace can be that strength He gives you to forgive someone or the strength He gives you to love someone who is otherwise unlovable. Grace is that chair you're sitting in. It's the air you breathe. It's the Bible you have in your hand. Grace is you, friends. You are a gift of grace. Grace is me. In fact, life becomes a life of gratitude, a life of joy. We realize that everything in life is a gift of grace. The only thing that's not are lies from the enemy. Lies that go against God's truth and His promises. Was the only reality, that's the only reality in life. It's not a gift. Even adversity 
as a gift to us. As God grows us through it. It makes us more holy and more like Jesus. So, first of all, grace is God's love made active through something that, but that acts unconditional. It doesn't require a response, but should always compel a response of obedience. Always push. Always be nudging us towards obedience. It does. If we truly understand grace. And finally, that act of love is undeserved. We've spent most of our, our lives saying no to God. Even if we're Christian, we spend most of our lives saying no to God. He still shows us grace. But why not just say love? You know, I could say all these things and just say, well, yeah, God loves you. I don't say that because love, love is an attribute of God's character and He does love you. Love is an attribute, though, of God's character. We're told in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. It's who He is. It's part of His very being and character. And the manner in which he exhibits that love, that is grace. The idea, friends, is that God didn't stay up in heaven writing love poems to us saying he loved us. He did something about it through Jesus. We were lost in sin. The Bible says we were his enemies. We were sinners. Romans 5.8 says we were sinners. God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were sinners, his enemies, that we wanted nothing to do with God. Christ died for us. Unlike the movies where you see someone die for a good person or you see someone die for one they love, Jesus died for us when we had no, wanted nothing to do with the living God who created us and fashioned us from the earth. Oh, that's great love. So what difference does this love made active? What difference does grace actually make in helping us carry on? Well, Paul gives us a picture for carrying on. Remember, Paul gave us a reason for carrying on. He also gives us a picture for carrying on. As we see in the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, if you ever read it, it's a wonderful letter, and you probably noticed this before, but perhaps not. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to. Ephesians envisions all of life as a walk. A walk. See, there's a path that we all walk on in life. And the only question is, in which direction am I walking? The only question is, which direction am I walking? I want to give you some proof that walk is the key theme in Ephesians. Let's just look at a few verses here. Ephesians 4.1. It's up on the screen. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 4.17. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Ephesians 5.2. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Ephesians 5.15 Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. See this? 
there's this theme, there's this motif threaded throughout Ephesians. Because in Ephesians of visions, life is a path that we all walk on. And the only question again is, which direction am I walking? Open your Bibles if you have them to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to help us see the relationship between grace and good works. Between this free gift, which says you don't need to work, but is still intimately involved with good works. How, how can that be? How can you work and yet rest through, from your work through grace? If you're like me, to understand concepts and just apply things to life, a lot of times pictures are helpful. So, I have laid out before us here on stage about a 30-foot horizontal path, this gray path. Uh, to your left are my friends uh, Salette. Sorry, what's your name? <laughs> of course I know your name. We, we had coffee on Friday, so that should help. Yeah, Christopher. And, <laughs> and my friend Rachel. Celeste's holding up a, uh, a sign that says, Look out for number one. Christopher holding up a sign that says, I'm better than you. Rachel's holding up a sign that says, Using others. To your right are my friends, Pinky, Wes, and Therese. They're holding up signs that say, Silent, silent acts of kindness, sharing your faith, and ongoing conversations with God. One path, two directions. Let's read. Well, first we read about the walking dead. Verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Notice there, walked in the course following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying on the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Let's talk about this path, a dark path. Most people don't know that when they're living life the way they've always been taught to live or always live they're actually following Satan notice how Paul equates following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air they're tautologists one's just another phrase for the other why? because people think they're just living their lives The way they've always loved them. But in truth, they're following the enemy of this world, the enemy of God, the one who wants to destroy their lives. And when you walk down this path, you walk into, as it says in verse 1, trespasses and sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In which you once walked. Nobody thinks, one, of course, no one thinks they're following Satan. No one thinks to themselves by indulging myself. By looking out for number one, 
that they are trespassing or sinning. No one thinks, man, I'm trying to get ahead in the world, ahead of everyone else. They don't say, boy, I wish I would be trespassing and sinning right now. They don't call it that. You naturally walk into trespasses and sins when you're following the prince of the power of this world. That's why Paul says in Romans that he would not have known what it was to covet. Right? Coveting is wanting what someone else has when you don't have it. He would not have known what it is to covet unless the law, unless the Ten Commandments had said, do not covet. People don't know they're walking into trespasses and sin. They don't, at least they don't identify it as such. But most of mankind is walking down this path. And as they walk, they literally walk into look out, looking out for number one, the idol of self. Gratifying self, serving self. They walk into, thanks Christopher, they walk into, I'm better than you. Pride. The idea that I can control my life and I can do whatever I want because I'm the best. And they eventually walk in to using other people. Using other people to serve their own needs. They, call it, they might call it a friendship. They might call it a, a business partner. They might even call it a marriage. But really it's just using people. This is what I have collected along the way. Simply by walking through life without Jesus. But the verse 4 is the turning point. Verse 4 is the turning point. Where God makes his love active. In other words, he graces us. Read with me starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Notice the action. God lifens the dead man, shows him grace, and man turns around on the path and he heads towards the light. Hence the reason we have to your right, the right side of the stage, beaming with light. <laughs> it's a metaphor. I want you to notice something with me here though. It's the concept of grace going on in these verses. Look with me. Because of the great love with which he loves us, Remember, God's love made active starts with God's love. He loves us greatly. So what does he do? He makes that love active. Notice the action words in these, verse, these verses. He made us alive together with Christ because he loved us. He raised us up with him because he loved us. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus because he loved us. He showed us, here he will show us, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God loves us and He makes that love active. And when we see that in our lives, when we see that we were dead in our trespasses, but God makes us alive together in Christ. God raises us up. God seats us with Jesus. He's going to show us this 
and is going to show us this wealth of riches and eternal life to come, a hint of future grace. We want to follow Christ. Do you see that? We realize that we followed our own way, our own path. We were, as it also says in Ephesians, literally enemies of Christ and the gospel. But that's the great thing about God's love. He didn't love us when we were good. He didn't love us when we were halfway decent. He loved us when we were his enemies. And that's when he decided to send Jesus to pay for our sins. And when you know that story and that enters into your heart and you trust it, you want to start walking towards Christ. You've turned around and you want to follow Christ in this direction. There's an awful lie that exists among Christians. It exists in general, but it exists even among Christians today. And the idea is that in Christianity, you get saved. Right? You get saved by grace. Then... You go and work hard and do the Christian life. And you do it on your own. This is proclaimed by deed if not by word. And what we end up doing is leaving grace behind. We leave the gospel of grace behind thinking it was just for salvation. When God says it's the fuel for lasting and carrying on and serving Him. When we understand that grace, not only do we turn around and we trust and, and God lifens us and turns us around, but we walk down that path. Which leads us to the last part, which is walking by grace with our eyes on Christ. We walk into good works. Read verse 10 with me. For we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So literally, here we have, to your right, these good works that God has prepared for us, these silent acts of kindness, sharing your faith, ongoing conversations with God that God has prepared beforehand. As we focus on Christ, keeping our eyes on Him, and we walk, we literally bump into these things. It's not something we have to create on our own. It's not something we have to manufacture. We don't have to work harder or come up with crazy ideas on how we're going to make up for our sin. But you walk with Jesus. And in doing so, you bump into good works. You walk, literally walk into them. That's what this verse is saying. Do you see this? Thank you guys. You can go now. <laughs> great pastor and author of the last century, A.W. Tozier, once said this, I think this sums it up well, the man who has to struggle to purify himself and has had nothing but failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ, again, looking down that path, while he looks at Christ, the way things he has so long been trying to do will be getting done within him. It will be God working in him to will and to do. It's God who does it. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul, right? Though not I, 
but the grace of God that is with me. Have you ever walked with someone you really care about? You know? If you've ever dated someone or perhaps you're, you're married to that someone, you may remember, especially when you first started dating, walking into a restaurant together. Right? Or just walking down the street, maybe on a moonlight evening. It could be a friend as well. Right? But in such situations, have you ever noticed that it's much easier to be kind to others, even strangers, when you're walking with the one you care about, the one you love? Or more importantly, walking with the one whom you know, whom you trust, loves you. It becomes easier walking with that person to lend money becomes easier to lend a helping hand to a person in need. It becomes easier to lend a smile to a person who receives precious few smiles during their day. Does that make sense? This is walking with Jesus and the natural response to grace, which is good works. When we begin to understand grace, carrying on, with good works becomes no longer a chore but a natural response. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when I look at this parable we looked at this morning, I see two things. I see the human heart and how hard it is because of sin for us to persevere in serving you. Along the way we want to we want to give up. We want to stop for a while. Take a couple years off. And Lord, we want to be appreciated. Father, I also see that at the end of the day, you call us to be servants who humbly come before you and just don't expect any of those things. God, that is hard. It's hard to last. It's hard to carry on in serving you. What's the reason? The reason we need to carry on, Lord. You show us, and I believe you showed us this morning, it is grace. Jesus, help us daily remember your grace. Again, by confessing sin and going to the cross. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that your, your love compels us to share the gospel with other people. That's why it says in Romans 2 that when we've been sinning and we're called to turn around from sin, it's God's kindness, His grace that leads us to repentance. Oh Lord, it is the only fuel that can help us last. So help us live by it each day. Help us return to the cross every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.